take 60 seconds here and let's just pray and open up our heart to the Lord here in English in your heavenly tongues whatever I just feel that this is a special moment here so Father we thank you Lord let's just stand up and just start praying to God open your hearts Lord, the winter is over. And Lord, the spring has come. We open up our hearts, Lord. Every area, every chamber, every room, all that we are, O oh God. You've told us that you're the Lord of all, Lord. We want you to be the Lord of all in our lives, Lord. Father, we need you. We open up our hearts. We ask you to come in and to fill us, Lord. Fill us with all that you have and all that you want to do in our lives so that we can be transformed, so we can be changed, oh God, so that we could come to you, that we could see with spiritual eyes and hear with spiritual ears, oh God, so we could look upon your countenance and be affected, oh God, be transformed and changed, uh, that your spirit, oh God, would move through us, Lord. Father, we open up our hearts. We ask you to come in, Lord. Father, hear the cries of your people today. We open up our hearts to you, Lord. And we thank you, God, that you're a God of all, that you love us, that you are our Abba Father, that you meet us and meet our every need, our every desire, our every hope, our every call, our every longing, oh God. You're more than able, Father. Thank you, Father. Praise you, Lord. The people of God said, Amen. So the pastors asked me to, uh, we're finished with music ministry. Thank you so much. What a blessing. What a, was music ministry a blessing today? <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, sound booth up there. Hallelujah. Yeah, go ahead. You can clap for them too. Um, I think we're going to go right into our offering. And right after our offering, uh, we just have a couple things to say, and then we're going to present the pastor. And, um, and after that, we're going to uh, have another presentation, and then we'll go from there. So, so if we can get ready to take our offerings here. And, you know, while we're getting ready and you're signing those papers and for those pieces of paper and pieces of metal for God's kingdom, you know, there was a song there. Did you pick up on that? His eyes are upon us. You know, we were talking about this in the prayer room just before, that God's eyes are upon us. His eyes are full of benevolence. They're there to help us, to encourage us, to support us, to guide us, to bless us, to do all good things so that we are in him and he is in us and that we're on the path and we don't fall prey to the enemy. And that's where God wants us to be. So, Pastor, could we put up the, uh, the offering prayer? Pastor, would you mind starting off and doing... So we're all going to say this together, right? Okay, so here we here. So here, Pardon? Okay, it's great. As we receive today's offering, we are believing you for heaven open, earth invaded, storehouses unlocked, and miracles created, dreams and visitations, angelic visitations, declaration, impartation, and divine manifestations 
anointings, giftings and calls, positions and promotions, provisions and resources to go to the nations, souls and more souls from every generation, saved and set free, carrying kingdom revival. Thank you, Father, that as I join my value system to yours, you will shower favor, blessing, and increase upon me so that I may have more than enough to co-labor with heaven to see Jesus get his full reward. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you. Could, uh, could I get the uh, pastor's council to come up forward here, please? Martha, Lincoln. Lincoln, are you here? Oh, there you are. Hallelujah. You know, nine months ago, Pastor Stephen, Pastor Dallas stood up here with the leadership, and he passed on a baton, and he said, uh, I'm passing this on to you to continue the race. And last week I was talking about something, and uh, Dallas is in a new ministry uh, area right now, and he's, and he's just uh, really going gung-ho, trying to do everything in a short amount of time. And, and his brother, the senior pastor, said, you know, Dallas, slow down. He says, uh, you're not running the quarter mile. You're running a marathon. Pace yourself, run the race, and you'll come to the end, right? And uh, likewise here, in the last nine months, and the number nine is significant, as you know, in the Bible it has different meanings. And some of you, if you even look up there, there's nine gifts of the Spirit, nine fruits of the Spirit, Nine speaks of completion and fulfillness, and there's some other things in there. But uh, we've come to a place to, to realize that as nine months have passed, there's also a new beginnings. Nine months to us means the birth of a child, uh, coming forth, new life. And so we, can I ask you to come up here, and could you pass me that piece of metal here, which is symbolic. And uh, we together as the leadership in that time, have uh, endeavored to the best of our ability to uh, carry on the race. And uh, we hope that we've done well in the eyes of the Lord as we've uh, prayed, sought His will in all of these things. And now we've come to the place where His plan for this part of the journey is coming to an end. And it's coming to a start for, the, for yourself and for this assembly. Did you have something to say? Uh, no, I don't think so. I, some, I guess some scripture did come to mind earlier here, and and, um, and I, just as we we're worshiping, uh, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, and uh, so we just look to Him, and uh, and we um, we hand the leadership of uh, of this body over over to you, and as you're in submission to Him. Well, I'd just like to say welcome. We're a little unorthodox sometimes, but I'm sure you'll fit in. <laughs> welcome. And uh, with that, as Lincoln said, we pass the leadership of this church and uh, on to you, and we pray for God's anointing and his guidance and his will to be done and, and manifest through you for yourself, for your family, for this extended family, for this church, and for this community. And we pass that on to you right now. 
One more thing. Amen. Um, when I was in Ukraine, they give you a big mace. It's got big knobs and everything. It's, it's a sign of authority. I, I didn't think that would be appropriate here. But uh, I also want to officially uh, relinquish my responsibilities and my duties as the district office uh, chair for Maple Street Worship Center unto you. And uh, the Lord bless you. His anointing be upon you. I know the district is coming to do an official installment, but this is family here. And so with that, God bless you, brother. Thank you for your sacrifice. And uh, he has a plan. And it's a continuing action. Amen. 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 Amen and thank you. Just stick the baton there. Um, yeah, that was fantastic. Um, thank you so much. Yeah, you, yeah, sure, sure, you could do that, yeah. yeah sir. One more thing, we're going to do this quickly because uh, we, know, we don't know when the mover... Oh. Are the movers called? One hour. So, one, they'll be in one hour. Well, this will only take five minutes. You're, <laughs> you know why they're laughing, don't you? <laughs> okay. Can you put up uh, out of the Amplified Romans twelve thirteen, please? You know, in the last few months that I've known Pastor uh, Stephen... He's turned around to me and, and to this congregation referring and said, you know, uh, you are a very hospitable people. And I thought about the hospitable, hospital, you know, what do you do when you go to a hospital? They nurture to you, they, they take care of your wounds and your sicknesses, your illnesses, they feed you, they nurture you back there. And that's where that root word, so hospitality is a word that comes from there. And in Romans, uh, uh, have you got Romans 12? Have you got that handy? Just put up Romans 12, start at verse 9. Hallelujah. I only got uh, four minutes left. There you go. So I'm going to read this, and you continue scrolling with me. It says, uh, and this is the apostle talking about how we should uh, typify our Christian life. And he says, let your love be sincere, a real thing. Hate what is evil, loathe all ungodliness, turn in horror from wickedness, but hold fast to that which is good. Next verse, verse 10, please. Love one another with brotherly affection as members of one family, giving precedence and showing honor to one another. Next verse. Never lag in zeal and in earnest endeavor. Be aglow and burning with the Spirit, serving the Lord. Next verse. Rejoice and exult in hope. Be steadfast and patient in suffering and tribulation. Be constant in prayer. And verse 13. Contribute to the needs of God's people, sharing in the necessities of the saints. Pursue the practice of hospitality. That word is used several times in the Bible. And so this, God's word not only commands us, but he commends us to uh, exude that virtue of hospitality, Pastor. And so this is a family that is a very hospitable family. And uh, could I get your family to come up here, please? Christiane and your children. Grandma, if you want to come up here as well. Hallelujah. And can I get Brother Frank and Diane? 
Is Natalie here? Just looking for a couple of witnesses. Susan here? Natalie, could you come up here and help me, please? Uh, Frank and Diane, could you stand over by those shrouds? Stand over by the black shrouds. Or purple. Well, that's okay. All in the family. Hallelujah. Is Susan here? Could you help us out with the shrouds, Susan? Do we have enough? Oh, we need one more. Just one more. Please, come and help us with that. A while back, while they're coming to do that, the Lord put it on uh, one of our family's hearts to uh, do something. And, uh, and this uh, person got a few volunteers to help out, as families do. Somebody comes up with an idea, and we all pitch in to go forward and make that uh, work for the family and a blessing. And so the idea was, under the umbrella of hospitality, to show you a little bit of a hospitality to meet the needs and the necessities of the saints. And so, uh, well, I guess Frank and Susan and Diane, could you please stand by there? Uh, what I want to show you is under door number one is a new car. Actually, <laughs> it's not a new car, but as your family... We would like to just bless you with this small blessing as a token of hospitality. Could you lift the shrouds off, please? So we need you to take that home and consume it. God bless you. Family, bless them. From your family here at Maple Street Worship Center. Wow. 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 Yeah, we thought that was a small. That's not small. That is incredibly significant. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Multiplied by six or a hundred times here. Thank you so, so very much. It was just interesting. Just yesterday, uh, my wife was saying, oh, I really need to get some groceries. Now, um, I knew that uh, Ed had a little something cooking there, you know, in, 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 the, in the plans and, and, and so on and so forth. So... Um, I just told her, I said, you know, uh, maybe we, we just get what we need for supper and we'll just kind of worry about all that stuff a little later on when we get things into the house. So um, thank you again so much. Did you want to have anything to say? Thank you so much. What we have experienced since we came into town and even before that has been amazing. And we're so thankful. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. That's a tremendous blessing. Um, pardon? Yeah, sure. I'll introduce the family really quickly. This is my wife, uh, Christiane. Yeah. Together 20 years. It's amazing. She should have a medal for that. Well, almost, well, we've been together for 20 years. We'll be married 20 years in November, and you should receive a medal for that. And this is my oldest son, uh, Logan, and he's taller than I am, as you can see. And he likes to remind me of that fact. Uh, this is Ethan, who is telling me that he's going to be taller than me. And so, but I, it's not a great feat, but he's a, he's a great guy. And uh, this is Aiden, and Aiden is a real character. He loves to ham things up. And this is our princess. And she lets me know that, uh, I, I love this one time, she said, I told her that she was uh, the princess. And she said, oh, you're my king. So I felt pretty good about that. So this is our, that's the family? And she wants a pony. Yeah. So she knows how to butter you up. That is for sure. Praise God. That's a tremendous um, 
tremendous blessing. In fact, uh, we've, been, we've been really feeling the, the love and the, and the welcome uh, ever since uh, we, we rolled in. And we just uh, want to just thank you so much for everything that folks have done. You know um, who you are, and we just, we just ask that the Lord would just bless you back in abundance. And uh, so uh, knowing, knowing that we have a truck coming in here in roughly 55 minutes, um, if you just turn in your Bible, if you have, or we could even put it on the screen if we can get to Numbers 13, uh, verse 26. Um, just want to share this morning a little something called promise, or yeah, excuse me, problem promise provision. Numbers 13, uh, starting at verse 26, if you can get there. And now, it may not read exactly the way I have it, but that'll be okay. If you want to put that on there, that's fine. But it is in the Bible, just to let you know. At, 20, at verse 26, it says, Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron. I'm just going to move this ahead if that's okay. And all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them and said, we went to the land where you sent us. And here's what they said about it. They said, it truly flows with milk and honey. Who likes milk and honey? Maybe not together, but on oatmeal anyway. And this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there and the Amalekites dwell on the land of the south. The Hittites and the Jezebites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. So they're not painting a very good picture here. And then it says in verse 30, Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession of it. Let's just go for it, he says. For we are able to overcome it. But, and you can underscore that, the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able. We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying the land through which uh, we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. All the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature, so they must have been short like me. And there we saw giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants, and we are, were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Lord, we just come this morning once again just asking for your help, asking, Lord, that you would speak to us through this message. I pray, Lord, that you just give me uh, the ability to communicate in a way, Lord, that would make this applicable to our lives, and, Lord, that we would be able to respond to it and it would change us. It would, it would bring us one step closer, Lord, to what it is that you have for each and every one of us individually and as a body. Thank you for the church, Lord. Thank you for this body, this family that you are building. And we just can ask your continued blessing and direction. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but uh, one of the common things that we all have in life are problems. Anybody have problems that come now and again? Now, some people are raising their hands, other people are chuckling, and uh, I only see a few hands, so everyone else must have it all figured out. 
We all experience problems, every single one of us. In fact, it's, a, it's sort of a common experience. If you're, if you're a card-carrying member of the human race, we've all had all sorts of different problems. You know, the, the, the dictionary defines a problem as a person, thing, or matter difficult to cope with. So I'm sure we've all experienced that. So in this room, every single one of us, at some point in your life, you've had problems. Problems are a reality. Um, maybe it's, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. One time we had a problem where we had more bills than we had money. Yeah, we were waiting for our EI to come. And we were working seasonal jobs, and we had a pile of bills on the kitchen table. And let me tell you, it was a problem. I, was, I pretty well broke down in tears looking at the total number that we had. But I want you to know that God came through. God came through. Sometimes you have problems like one time when a deodorant stick got flushed down into the toilet. And uh, we had to get the plumber to come. And actually, they had to destroy the toilet. Those things happen. You ever find those things happen? You know, problems, right? Sometimes, sometimes we, as I said before, we don't have enough money to pay the bills. Maybe we have a debilitating sickness in the family. But what, no matter what it is, whether the problem is small or the problem is large, one of the things that I notice, especially us guys will do this because we think that we're the fixers. Some are better fixers than others. But what we try to do is we try to come to a logical and a rational solution. You ever notice that? Let's try to figure this out on our own. Let's try to come up with a plan. So when it comes to a lack of money, we just try to work harder. We just try to get the second, third job, and we try to work harder. When it comes to sickness, we run to the doctor. When it comes to death, we, 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 we look at the pill bottle, we, we, you know, and so on. So we have all sorts of things that we try to, well, problems that we try to solve. But one of the things that we notice about this is that on whom we place our dependency. The problem is we often will place the dependency and the solution on ourselves. You ever find that? We try to figure it out ourselves. But one of the things we notice in this portion of Scripture is that the Israelites themselves had a pretty big problem. It was a problem that they could, they were trying to solve by logical and rational means. So they go and they explore the land. And of course, uh, that wasn't originally God's idea to explore the land, but it was, a, it was a concession that God had. So God gave Moses the instructions. And he sent out these men to explore the land. So one leader from each of the 12 tribes, they go out and they, they spy out the land of Canaan. And so Moses sends them out. And here's what they're going to do. They're going to investigate the land. They're going to check out the people. They're going to check out the produce. And they're going to do a feasibility study. This is what they're doing. They're doing a feasibility study. And they're going to collect factual data or data. And based on that data, they're going to make a decision. And the decision will be, based on the data that they put in the scale, can we pull this thing off? Can we do it? We're going to collect all the data, we're going to punch it in, and we're going to ask, can we do this? How many know that's oftentimes the way we do things? 
So the questions are going to be like this. Okay, guys, when you're spying it out and you're doing this feasibility study, ask the questions. Are the people there strong or are they weak? That's important, right? Because if they're weak, oh, well, we got an advantage. But if they're strong, oh, we may, I don't know. Are they few or are they many? Is the land good or is the land bad? How about their towns? Are they walled? Are they fortified? And don't forget to bring back a sample of the produce. We want to check out to see if the food there that's growing is good. So that's what they do. So they, they, they go according to the plan. They explore the land. They come across the descendants of Anak. They, 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 they bring a good uh, portion or sample of the land back. They bring some grapes and pomegranates and figs, all that good, yummy stuff. And at the end of the 40-day exploration... They come back with a report, and the report is both good and bad. It's almost like going to the doctor, good and bad stuff, right? Notice what it says in verse 27. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. That's good stuff. And nevertheless, the NIV says, but. Verse 31 says, but. You ever notice that somebody starts to say something good, and all of a sudden you can feel it coming? You can feel the butt coming. You ever, you ever find that? And here it came. But its produce is awesome, but we're not able. We're not able. Of course they're not able. We're not able to do it. And so the next thing you know, you've got yourself a problem. You see, so Caleb stands up. And what does Caleb do? Caleb objects. But guess what? Guys, listen, you know how it works. Majority rules. Caleb, the vote is 10 to 2. That's the score. 83% nays. We're not going to be able to do this. I know you guys, you, you, Joshua and Caleb, you've got lots of zeal. You've got lots of enthusiasm. You've got passion. All those wonderful things. But look, guys, we brought back the report. We brought back the factual, scientific data, and guess what? The problem is this. The people are too big. They're too strong. They're too powerful. We are just a bunch of unorganized, ill-equipped, nomadic farmers. They have more technology because they got iPhones and all this stuff. They've got military weapons. They've got too much strength, too much skill. Their walls are fortified. Impossible. To penetrate, there's no way. The problem is too big, insurmountable. The giants are too big, the walls are too big, the weapons are too big, the armies are too big. The problem is just too big. Too big. Was the problem big? Thank you. The problem was big. Sure, the problem was big. But you know that the problem was big. There was bigger problems. There was problems that were big before that. There was, the problem was big when there were two million Jews, wives and children. They stood weaponless against an Egyptian army, being chased by an Egyptian army, standing between an army and the Red Sea. No dry land, no way of escape. And when you're in a situation like that, how many know you got a problem? A big problem. Or how about when the king of Babylon orders you to be placed in a fiery furnace, prepared four times hotter than usual for defying the decrees of the king. How many know you got yourself a big problem? 
Big problem. Or when you're being thrown into a den of hungry lions, you got yourself a big problem. And some people might say, well, you know, they're just biblical stories. Well, how many understand this morning that there's times in our lives where we face big problems and there's no way that we can get the solution ourselves? I remember a time uh, I was told of a story by a guy in our church in Lockport of how he was out on the water on, in a Cape Island fishing boat about two, three miles off shore, and your 45-gallon drum of gas is empty and you've got a storm coming. You get yourself a problem. Or when you have a haddock hook, a circular hook. Now, I'm getting into fishing. I'm, 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 just be, bear with me. And you're going to catch this a little bit after. So I'm, I, I, I'm now wearing my East Coast lifestyle. Just pretend that's there. East Coast lifestyle is coming through. And you've got yourself a haddock hook wrapped in the back of your eyeball. You've got yourself a problem. They're real life problems. Real life problems. In fact, taking that story on the, on the, on the boat here for a moment. I was told that story by a guy by the name of Raymond Roach when he was a young fisherman. And he had just, uh, not that long ago, he had, he had married and he had little children. And he was out on the boat with two other guys. And I can picture it because we have a mile-long beach that used to be featured on the back of the $50 bill. Crescent Beach. And he told the story of how they were out in that boat, Cape Island fishing boat. And they're here they are two or three miles off ashore. And storm is coming. And they go to start the engine and it doesn't start. What are they gonna do? What are they gonna do? So he says to he says to the Lord, he says, Lord, it's I'm good, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. But what about my family? I have a young family. I have a young wife. I have young children. Lord, what about them? Who's going to take care of them? Who's going to take care of them, Lord? And so the three guys on the Cape Island fishing boat are Christians. And so this is what they decide to do. They decide to pray. You see, they went down, and they had an engine that guzzled, that just loved the gas. And there was a 45-gallon drum that they had, that they had thought that was full and was able to take them out and bring them back, and it was now empty. They found out later that someone had siphoned their gas out of their tank. And so they begin to pray. They pray, and guess what happens? They say, okay, Skipper says, okay, we're going to try the engine. They start the engine, and the engine revs up. And the three of them are standing. He he explained this to me. He said that... They could actually see, there was a clear nozzle where they could actually see the gas going into the carburetor. They could watch it, literally watch the gas. And so what they did is uh, they, they decided to motor on and they signaled the light keeper at Gall Rock Light. So they signaled the light keeper. Light keeper actually came out and said, what do you need? Well, we need gas. Okay, so he goes back. Now, th- we're thinking this is time. Okay, he's in this outboard boat, motorboat, and he he's comes out, asks what the need is, then they go back, and he brings a five-gallon jug, jug of gas. 
And uh, Skipper, so uh, Raymond says, are you going to put that in? No. Skipper says, we're going to see how far we can get. And when the boat was safely nestled in Lockport Harbor and secured to the wharf was when the engine stopped. Amen? Or how about when you have a haddock hook? How, how did that happen? Well, a couple of teenagers, a couple of brothers are down in a baiting shed. Now, a baiting shed is where you go and you, you bait trawl. I don't know if you've ever seen a trawl tub. It's a big wooden tub, slats of wood kept together by metal, going circular, and so it's all bolted in. And they're using what they call a gauge in line. It's a real thick, well, not thick, but very strong corded rope, dark rope. And they have hooks on those, uh, on that line. And there's these circular type of hooks that they use to, to, to hook haddock, hook ground fish. And so they are cutting up mackerel and squid and all that yucky stuff in the bait and shed. And they're hooking the bait onto the hooks. And then they're setting it in the trawl circular so that the, the trawl tubs gets filled out. But there was a snarl, what he called a snarl, in the gaging. And he tried to, his brother tried to shake it loose. And somehow through the air, a haddock hook... Circular hook got in around his eyeball so that all it was was the eye of the hook and the gauge in line hanging out. So his brother cuts the gauge and, 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 and Norman is telling my father and I this story on a Saturday afternoon before my parents actually walk hand in hand to the altar on a Sunday night, recommitted their lives to Jesus. It was great. And Norman is walking up toward... Dr. Jim, Jim Robbins, everyone knew who Dr. Jim was, small town. He's walking up from the fish plant, young man. And he puts one hand over his eye and he puts one hand up to heaven and he prays. And after he prayed, he took his hand off of his eye and the haddock hook was in his hand. And he goes to the doctor, and the doctor examines him, and the doctor says, Yep, I can see the rust, and I can see the dirt in behind your eyeball. And here is Norman telling us that story on a Saturday afternoon while I was helping him side my parents' house. And to me, it just blew me away. Wow, how great and powerful is our God. How great he is. Hallelujah. You see, it's not our problem, it's his problem. Amen? Amen? It's not our problem, it's his problem. See, you can hold to the facts or you can hold to the promise. You can hold to the facts that say the lions are hungry. Or you can hold to the truth that angels are there muzzling their mouths. You can look at the facts when the furnace is four times hotter, but truth says not a hair on their heads were singed. Why? Because God is bigger than an Egyptian pharaoh. He's bigger than the Red Sea. He's bigger than a 90-foot Babylonian statue of a king. He is more mightier than the jaws of lions. He is mightier than any problem that you can face in your life. And you see, for Joshua and Caleb, they saw the sights as the other spies had. They saw the obstacles 
and they felt the sway of public opinion. But here's the deal. The deal is they had a different perspective. They had a different perspective. They knew that God was bigger than the giants in the land. God was bigger than the walls of those cities. That God was bigger than their military strength. And with that perspective on the problem, and with faith in their hearts, they had a vision that the future was good. There's a good future. You see, this is God's future, His destiny that He has in mind, and it's good. How many are glad that God has a plan? He's got a plan for your life. He's got a plan for this church family. He's got a plan for this town. No matter what the problem is, God is bigger than all of those problems. And the thing is, we need not to be blinded by the facts, but that we can clearly see with truth. Amen? So what was the truth? Well, the truth was the promise. See, there's the problem there's, and there's the promise. See, here's what the majority failed to see. The land was promised. The land was promised. In other words, God had already signed it over. It was theirs. It was their possession. It was reserved. It was their inheritance. It was theirs for the taking. But instead of looking at the facts that was before them, they had to look at things with a faith perspective. In Genesis 12, here's what the Lord said to Abraham. He says, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. Verse 7, and I'm going to hit these verses quickly. Verse 7, then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your descendants, I will give this land. Genesis 3.15, the Lord says, I give to you and your descendants forever. Genesis 15.7, he says, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. Genesis 15.18, I have given this land. Genesis 17.8, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Genesis 50.24, and Joseph said to his brother, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to a land of which he swore to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. Exodus 3.8, Exodus 3.17-18, Exodus 6 4 and 8, Leviticus 18, 1 to 3, all promises. God is reiterating over and over and over. And I'm going to cover all those scriptures. We'll be here quite a while. But the point is simply that God promised it. It was going to be theirs. It was going to be theirs. Leviticus 20, 24, but I've said to you, you shall inherit their land and I will give it to you. Here I've listed probably at least 12 times that the Lord promises. They said it truly flows with milk and honey. That they could see, but they could not see what Joshua and Caleb could see. The land was theirs. God had it promised. And we know the story. We know that the majority report goes back to the whole community of Israel. They complained against Moses. They even wanted to vote a new guy in and then head back to Egypt with what they knew. But Joshua and Caleb get up and try to convince them the land is theirs for the taking. Numbers 14, 7 to 10, it says, The land we pass through to spy out is exceedingly a good land. 
If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. And verse 9, here's the thing. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land. How many know fear is what holds us up so many times? Fear. But God has not given us a spirit of fear. Amen? See, it's the enemy that wants to whisper into our ears, you know, it's just too big, it's too much, there's no way you can accomplish it. No way it's going to happen. But they say, don't fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Can you say that this morning? The Lord is with us. Let that sink into your spirit. The Lord is with us. And he says, do not fear them. Do not fear the problems. Do not fear the obstacles. Because the Lord is with us. And last thing, last point. We've covered the problem. The Lord has made known... Of the, provi- of, the, of the promise, but the next thing is this, is the provision. And I ask the question here, what are God's promises to us? Because you see, you know, we know, some of us know the rest of the story. And here's the short version. This is the Coles notes. So the men who spread the faithless report, what does the Lord do? He strikes them with a plague and they die in the desert for their lack of faith. Why did he do that? Because they rejected the land that God had promised. They were living in rebellion. And because they spread doubt and they spread fear, what happened was rebellion and sin went through the rest of the camp. And folks, when we doubt God, that is fear. Amen? We doubt what God has said. Remember how the fall happened. Serpent slithers into the garden. He says, did God really say... And what is the tactic here? The tactic of the enemy is to create doubt in your heart. Hmm. Did God really say that he would supply all of my needs? Did he really say he would never leave me nor forsake me? Did he really say that we are more than conquerors in Christ? And there's times when we allow what God has promised us to slip away and we allow the fear of the enemy to take its place. Folks, we cannot allow the devil to get a foothold, a place from which to operate. You see, doubt says God can, but. God can, that's doubt. God can, but. Faith says God can, period. And here's what happened. Because of the rebellion, their, their fear of failure, the lack of trust, those who were 20 years old and older would die in the desert. They wouldn't get in to enjoy the abundant life that God had planned out for them. Only Joshua and Caleb survived. Joshua 1 verse 10 verse 1, or yeah, excuse me, Joshua 1 verse 10. Then Joshua commanded the offers of the people saying, pass through the camp and command the people saying, prepare provisions for yourself for within three days you will cross over this Jordan to go into the land to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. What does it mean to possess? It means to seize. It means to occupy. It means that you're going to go in and you're going to root out the enemy and you're going to stick your flag down and you're going to say, this is ours to claim. This is ours 
to claim. This is our ownership. And so what Joshua and Caleb, because they knew the land was promised, and Moses knew that God had promised deliverance, and the three Hebrew boys knew that God could rescue them, and because Norman knew that God could heal him, and, and, and Raymond knew that God could perform the impossible, that what they needed to do is in the process they had to act by their faith. And how many understand that that's exactly how they possessed the land? They didn't sit on their duffs and expect that God was going to hand everything over to them in a big silver saucer by an angel from heaven. That's not how it went down. See, I've heard people say this. Well, well, you know, God, I pray that you'll bless me with a job and then you sit around in the house. Now listen, I understand that God can make the phone ring. He can do that. He can do that. But there's times, folks, and I've heard it said by one guy, he said, we need to put legs to our faith. Amen? We pray, and then we act in faith. We take a step of faith. People have said, oh, Lord, would you just bring them in? I, I know that there's sometimes we'll say, well, let's just go in the prayer room, or we're going to pray for revival, and we're going to pray that God would just send souls into the church. Well, God says that the fields are ready, white under harvest. You've got to get out of the barn. Amen? You see, a farmer might pray for good weather, and you guys know farming better than I do. I'm, I'm, I can give you the fishing analogies. But I'm sure that a farmer can pray for good weather. But I'm almost confident that a, a, a good farmer will never expect that God actually does the work of filling the barn. You plant the seed. You know, you till the soil, you plant the seed. You pray for good weather. You, you have the rain that comes and so on, and then you get a harvest, and then you get out there. And you bring it into the barn. Amen? God does his part. We do our part. So in faith, we trust God for the provision. But then we do our job in faith, putting legs to our faith. And you might see a fisherman pray for a good catch of fish, but they'll never expect God to set the trawl. And for us, it is one thing to have faith in God that he can do something. It's another thing to have faith to act on it. And James tells us that without Action without doing something. Faith is dead. And if it's dead, it's useless. And could we stand this morning as the worship team comes back? Bit of a call to action this morning. You know, before the Red Sea got parted, Moses actually had to do something. He had to strike the waters with his staff. Before Joshua and Caleb went into Canaan, they had to make provisions to go. I can relate to that. They had to pack things up and get ready to go. Before the walls of Jericho came tumbling down, they had to march around the walls of the city for a week. Before Naaman could be healed of his leprosy, he had to dip seven times in a muddy river. And so the same thing is with us. The same thing is with us. It's one thing to believe in your heart that God can. It's another thing to kneel down in prayer one more time. And to say, God, I'm taking a step. I'm taking a step of faith. Because I know that you can. And there is no buts 
in, in, in what I'm going to do next. There is no but. God can but. No, I'm going I'm to take the step of faith. And I don't know this morning if there's anyone that's here and you're experiencing some problems in your life. You're experiencing some obstacles, mountains, hurdles in your life right now. Maybe, maybe that's you with every head. Well, actually, I'm not going to ask you to close your eyes. If, who, who would here say, you know something? I, I still got some problems and some issues that I need the help from the Lord from. I see some hands going up. Tremendous. Maybe here you're struggling with faith. Maybe you're struggling with doubts. Maybe you're struggling with fear. Maybe you need healing. Maybe you need financial assistance from God. Maybe it's salvation for a loved one. We need to know that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and there is nothing that is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible. It might be impossible with us, but it's not impossible with God. Problem, we have them. Promises, they're all through Scripture. And if we stand on His promises, He is faithful to make good on them. Do you believe that this morning? That the promises of God are yes and amen to those who believe. Not just believe in, oh, I, I'm going to say it, but no. He's not just declaring it, it's also acting upon it. And this morning, it's a call to action. As the worship team leads us in that uh, song that I think, I'm forgetting the name of it now, but I think it was one you guys had thought was good. Um, I have a list. It's orange. I think it's called He is Faithful. Yeah, that's it. Amen. He's faithful. Do you believe He's faithful this morning? Do you believe He's faithful? So that's what we need to hold on to is the faithfulness of God because it's God who makes the promises. And if we allow fear and doubt to come in, how can those things become reality? He's got a plan. He's got a plan. I had no idea when I told my wife. No idea. When I said to my wife, December of 1999, I said to her, I said, said, Christiane, what do you think about me enrolling at Eastern Pentecostal Bible College? And you know what she told me? She said, well, you can, but I'm not going anywhere. Then it became this. Well, I'm not going to Newfoundland, Quebec, or Africa. She's not here to defend us now. This is great. So I remember the time when we quit our jobs at Clearwater Fine Foods, and at the ripe age of 30, we, I was 30. She's younger than I am. And we went to what seemed to be the end of the world, Yarmouth, Nova Scotia. An hour and a half away. Yeah. So when you're on the 103 going down around the Pubnicos, you, you wonder, like, is the tr- are the trees ever going to end? And I remember before I, we even went and were 
interviewed to be for credentials. She said, where do you think we'll end up? And for some reason, I looked out the window and I said, I, I believe one day we'll end up in southern New Brunswick. And we did. We pastored in Sussex. But I want you to know that I can relate to Abraham. When the Lord calls him out to leave it all behind and go to a land, I'm going to show you. And then, you know, you'll get the, mem- you'll get the email later down the road. Because to come here, it took six provinces and six states to get here. And the reason we are here is because we believe that God is in it. But you have to take a step, a step of faith. And one of the big steps that we took was when we started boxing things up. That is a huge step. And, I'm, and, and I took a step. Can I just say this morning? I took a step 4,800 kilometers long. And so this morning, I would just ask if you take a few feet to the front. And say, God, these are my problems, but they're yours. And I know that I can't figure them all out. I can't get the solution, but I know on whom I have believed. I'm not going to take them on myself. They're your problems, God, because I'm your child and you are my father. And guess what fathers do for their kids? They take care of things for you, right? If God can create the universe, the issues that you have in your life are nothing compared to his love, his mercy, his grace, his power to intervene. And so whatever it is that you're struggling with, whatever it is that is holding you back, if you've got doubt, fear, whatever, that I don't know what it is, but you know what it is. If the Lord's speaking to you, I want you to take one more step this morning and just to reach out to him and say, God, here I am. Here is my issues. Here are my problems. But I know your word has promises for me, and I'm going to stand upon the promises of God until I get the answer. Can we do that this morning? He is faithful. He is faithful. And as we do that, maybe there's some who say, you know, I, things are going pretty good for me. And so if that's, if that's you, could you gather around someone and lay a hand upon them and begin to pray for them and ask that God would intervene in their lives and meet all their needs. Hallelujah. Praise his name.